0: So you're going to all right, right one, so two. Is this thing on? I guess so. I think we're all on. Just yeah. oh, yeah. no, no, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> this is scary. Hey, everyone, thanks for joining us. My name is Craig Fox. I'm a senior managing director at Guggenheim Partners. And we're going to talk for the next hour or so about musicians for audio quality, something which I think is getting a lot of attention right now, partially. Due to Bob Weir sitting to our right. The panel we have for you today, our far right, is Dennis Leonard, the wizard. Dennis spent uh, a number of years from 1971 to the mid-80s as one of the, really the head engineers running music for the Grateful Dead. He left the Grateful Dead to make George Lucas look good and runs uh, music, basically, uh, for Lucas Studios. Next to Dennis is uh, Bob Weir. Uh, we all know Bob Weir. <laughs> <laughs> Pre- president of Grateful Dead Productions, amongst one or two other things. Uh, next to Bob, we've got Lucas Nelson. Lucas has got a, a band. He's been around for a while, Promise of the Real. He's recently... Uh, his band has been backing Neil Young on some dates recently, and Lucas is going to give us a perspective on kind of the uh, the younger generation of artists and, and their, their perception of what's going on with music and their audiences and, and how people are consuming and, and, and what this all means for them. And and to my immediate right, Mike Jabara from Warner Music... Mike is president of ADA it's Warner's independent music arm and Mike and his team provide a host of real important services for starting artists and independent artists trying to make their way with that as a kickoff i thought maybe we'd start bob you know the grateful dead really were at the forefront beginning when you guys started playing in the in the mid 60s 1965 at the forefront of trying to deliver to your audiences a different musical experience live so maybe you could spend a minute or two talking about, you know, how that evolved for you guys as a band and the beginning of your career to, you know, more recent days.
1: Okay, well I've I've prepared some remarks here, um, <laughs> trying to get uh, basically trying to get uh, ten pounds of rats into a five pound bag. Uh, so I, I thought I'd write it out. You'll have to you'll have to uh, bear with me because I, I read a lot slower than I talk. I'm dyslexic. In the extreme. So anyway, here's here's in a in a nutshell the Grateful Dead story as regards audio. We started out playing pizza parlors and clubs, a pretty lo-fi experience using whatever PA equipment the place we were playing could provide. At one point we bought a 150 watt amplifier and a couple of four foot speaker columns, which the guy at the electronics store assured us was all the PA you guys will ever need. (laughs) The first note Pigpen played through it with his harp was the last note that PA ever produced. (laughs) Uh, We then went on to playing the acid tests where, you know, by that time, that, that was a couple months further down the pike, and we had built a bunch of TA speakers expressly for the purpose of playing the acid test, and we'd place them more more or less randomly around the room. And then the uh, our friends, the pranksters, would uh, take whatever was coming from the microphones and put it through a series of tape loops. And, uh, and the, the the point being, the uh, the object meant to uh, to provide a, a a disorienting experience for uh, for people who weren't already. Profoundly disoriented enough. And we had a lot of fun with that. At the acid test, that, uh, that was where we met a relatively uh, renowned chemist, one August, Augustus Osley Stanley, who, among other things, brought us to a, an awareness of quality and sound. He took us under his entrepreneurial wing and, uh, and had us ditch our Fender instrument amplifiers and set us up with uh, theater speakers powered by Macintosh uh, amplifiers and preamps and that kind of gear. Um, there was at first, of course, a fair bit of trial and error involved in sorting out what was going to work and what wasn't. I'm pretty sure t- that to this day I, I still hold the all-time record for blowing high-frequency drivers for all tech Lansing Voices of the, of the Theater Speakers a distinct A distinction of which i 'm quietly proud, um, after a while we went back to using conventional gears for our instruments. We were sold on the high, the high quality stuff for for drums and vocals, and we stuck with it it 's worth mentioning that electric instruments and instrument amplifiers evolved together symbiotically, starting back in the twenties or so, so we were in the case of instruments and instrument amplifier amplification, we were sort of trying to reinvent a medium that really didn't need us to be doing that. It didn't stop us, though. Um, our pathway with Owsley eventually led to the formation of Olympic Sound, uh, an early high-quality sound reinforcement company, then uh, led to the development of the Wall of Sound which you may have seen pictures of, and it was behemoth and equally monstrously impractical and easily the best public address system ever assembled by the hands of man. That system demonstrated the validity of linear array sound propagation theory and was clearly audible in breathtaking hi-fi miles from its point of origin. It changed the way people thought about concert sound. The system's size, weight, and impracticality, however, uh, caused us to have to knock off from touring for about a year in 1975. In 1976, we slunk back out on the road with regular PA gear and with a small fraction of of the previously required crew. Then a couple of years later, I was wandering around the AES convention, the Audio Audio Engineers Engineering Society Society here in San Francisco, when I heard from around the corner a particularly loud, present, and wonderful-sounding violin playing. Only it wasn't a violin, it was a recording of one. The speakers through which it was being played made it sound real And that was the first time that I'd ever heard a recording sound that real. And that was when I met a guy named John Meyer, the maker of those speakers. He, like Owsley, was another audio and all-around genius, and we soon started working with him. His audio systems once again revolutionized concert sound. I still work with him today on forward-leaning systems for my studio up in San Rafael as well as for Concert Sound. And this kind of brings us to the present day. In essence, we have always been intent on presenting the best quality sound possible, music the way we would want to hear it. The higher the quality of the presentation, the more immersive the experience becomes and the more impact the music has. But music delivery systems have changed over the last few decades, most notably in the realm of recording from analog to digital. It changed from analog to digital. Back when I was a kid, music was recorded and played back in analog. There was none of the convenience of CDs, iPods, downloads, any of that, but there was something else about it. Music mattered more than it does today. Far more. When I was a kid on a Friday or a Saturday night, we would go to a friend's house and listen to records all night. That doesn't happen today for one simple reason. You can't. Let me explain why. I'm going to go off, uh, off the page here. When a sound occurs in nature, let's say, a, let's say a sine wave. That's a sound that doesn't occur much in nature, but this is the simplest illustration a sine wave looks like this. It produces a, a, a wave, if you can try to visualize this emanating three-dimensionally, the waves look like this. When uh, an analog recorder picks that up, it reproduces a sound that looks like that, if you look at it on a scope, um, on an oscilloscope. if you try to quantify that. If you try to record that in, 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 a, in a digital image, what, it'll, what the digital recording equipment will do is it will cut that sine wave into a series of little postcards, basically. And facsimilate the, uh, the sine wave. Okay, that's fine, but what happens is that goes through your ears to your brain... And your brain has to work to reassemble all those little postcards. It's a lot of work. it's tiring the first the first digital record I ever listened to was uh Ray Cooter's Bop till You Drop." It was a wonderful record, kind of great songs, great performances by great artists and I got. Most of the way through the first side, it was, it was on a vinyl disc. It had been recorded digitally, but it was on a vinyl disc. Uh, I, I got most of the way through the first side, and I, I couldn't listen anymore. I couldn't figure out why. And I was tired. I was just tired of listening to it. And that's what happens when you try to listen all the way through a digital recording. Your brain gets tired because it's work. It's now clinically proven that that digital music raises your stress levels because your, your brain just doesn't want to work that hard to do
0: something that it should be enjoying. Hey, hey Bob, okay. maybe, that's a, maybe that's a good point for, for maybe Dennis and Mike okay. to jump in a little bit and, and, and bring it back to today and, and, and what's going on with music today and the music that we're hearing and technologically, what are these differences and, sure. You, know, you, you, as a sound engineer, you, you know you, you spend all day doing with this. And um, Mike and, and his team were early investors in, in Pono and, and some other technologies designed to to give us better quality music at home. Okay. Well, uh, as
2: you can see, I have an example of uh, sine wave on the screen there. It's nice and smooth. Top one, and then the middle one is fine little postcards, as uh, Bobby mentioned, and the. Uh, Bottom one is uh, more coarse. And, uh, you know, we have an educated audience here, I'm sure. But now, here is on the bottom really a vivid example of the way high frequencies may be quantified on a CD. And we're talking about a CD as our benchmark because uh, we can hear up to 20,000 cycles. And a CD sampling frequency, the amount of these postcards that's created is 44,100, which means that roughly a little bit more than two pictures are taken for the highest frequency that we should be able to hear when we were young. Anyway, using CDs right now as a benchmark is kind of cool because we got used to it. Um, I mentioned this in the presentation we did in New York at TED. In 1980, the CD standard was established, 44 16-bits, and uh, the size and the storage, which was for Beethoven's fifth, 74 minutes. And we're comparing everything to that right now. And when CDs first came out, The audiophile snobs like myself were listening to vinyl and going, well, this just isn't going to make it. And fast forward to now, that was like 1980. And now we're listening to MP3, which is roughly a quarter the resolution of a CD. Funny enough, in uh, 1980, IBM did a test and they made a one gigabyte hard drive. It was the size of a refrigerator. It weighed over 500 pounds and cost about 50 grand. So if you extrapolate from that what a one terabyte drive would have been, it would have been 1,000 refrigerators costing millions of dollars. What I'm trying to illustrate is, in the time between 1980 and now, we've made all these advances in this technology because we can go down the street to Best Buy and for 100 bucks buy a 1 terabyte drive stick it in our pocket and walk away and we're in fact listening to lower resolution than the CD standard and what's at stake here is our sanity because, uh, and one of the things, seriously, seriously. This is, this is real. This is the real deal because one of the things, and, and Lucas will cover some of this, one of the things that we've got going on, high resolution, <laughs> low resolution, these are all buzzwords, but what we have in here is a mechanism. Our ears have thousands and thousands of years of experience as thousands of years ago, we were hunter-gatherers, and we were completely dependent on being able to tell where things came from. Why am I going on to this uh, subject of panorama, where things come from? It's precognitive. You ever think about hearing a sudden transient noise? You don't think about it. You immediately turn to where it came from. That's part of a survival instinct. And what's at play there? is a very, very subtle mechanism. It's precognitive. It involves not the loudness from the right or the left, but a lot of minute reflections. We're little bats. We have bat sense. We don't do sonar, but we listen to the environment that way. The point being that low-resolution digital audio doesn't quantify all that subtlety. And I believe, and I'm in the middle of writing a paper on this, I believe that the anxiety factor that's raised when you listen to low-resolution audio is because all of that detail that we would gather from our environment to tell where things are coming from is not there. If you stepped out into a forest and heard a twig crack but couldn't tell where it was from, you'd be scared shit and you might get eaten, or you might miss a piece of food that you could capture. So in an environment where we're, number one, listening to music only with no visual reference, it's like being in the dark, we're really susceptible to this anxiety. And this is stuff that's you know just not quantified. It doesn't uh, reveal itself in listening tests either, because even low-resolution MP3 is pretty good at giving us all the frequencies. What I'm going to do now, and it might take a moment to get the level, I've taken some music. It's been recorded at 96k, which is an acceptable frequency to sample things at because it gives enough detail in the mid-range where all these reflected uh, signals happen for us to actually... (coughs) feel comfortable. So what I've done is I've got a piece of music which was recorded at 96K and then added it to an MP3 which polarity has been reversed on. So what you'll hear is first you'll hear the actual music and then you'll hear the result, which is two things. One, all of the information that's not being captured by the medium and two the distortion that the medium's creating so I'm going to do this right now Donald Fagan did a great uh, project years ago every sound man that does live sound has a copy of IGY in their back pocket have we got the audio?
1: just exactly like a Swiss watch yes.
2: Yeah. there we go that's great it was me Okay, so this is 96K. It was actually um, recorded off of a piece of vinyl into Pro Tools at 96K. So now I'm gonna play the difference between this and an MP3. You hear graininess Symbols are one thing. The high frequency overtones and symbols are ignored by MP3. So we're hearing twofold. We're hearing distortion and we're hearing a lot simultaneously. I can't separate those.
0: So so explain it a little bit. So this is when you when you listen to simplify it, when you listen to a compressed file, you're hearing two things right now. You're hearing how the music is distorted. And what we're hearing right now is the pieces you wouldn't be hearing. Yes, exactly. This is what got cut out. If you're listening to that same song on your phone, this is what you're not hearing. All this music is missing. So when so, people say it sounds the same, you're not hearing any of that. It can't sound the same.
2: And you might notice you hear a raspiness, that's the distortion, but there are also parts of it where you hear air. And you know, someone might say, well, that's not much stuff. What's the big deal? But it's that air that gives us the ability to discern panorama. And our little bat senses are really trying to reach out for that. And that's the reason why we're not comfortable listening to low resolution digital. Even if you put a piece of vinyl, and I've personally done this. It was an epiphany the first time I did it. I have my original Pink Floyd Dark Side of the Moon album. It's dried up. It has scratches and pops. You get used to an album, and you know, here comes that pop. And it goes by. You learn to filter out the... And so I had this really well-done CD version of Dark Side of the Moon, and I synced it up, and I did A, the turntable, B, the CD, A turntable B, the CD, went back to A, laid down on the couch, this is years ago, and listened to the whole side. And I went, holy cow, you know, what was that? Even with the surface noise in the record and the scratches and pops, it was relaxing. And this is a really important thing because this is a social thing we used to get together and hang out, smoke doobies or whatever, and listen to music. And kind of like it would probably take a couple of minutes before someone noticed that we were on the runoff groove. <laughs> hey, will you go flip the record over? There are some aspects of uh, the production of uh, musical projects that I don't think will ever come back because you know there was a gorgeous uh, art form of sequencing the tunes on one side, planning the intermission when you flip the side, that may never come back. But I think the sociology, if we can create high resolution audio that's streamable, that's downloadable, and people can share it, then the sociology can go far beyond what we did because we had to run across town to our friend's house to listen to this. And now we could meet in musical chat rooms and share music. So I think that that's what's over the horizon.
0: And, and when we were in New York, one of the things that we talked about was um, we suppose that artists are in favor of this, and we had Bob you know, clearly in favor of it, and Lucas is going to talk about that in a minute, and we suppose that consumers are in favor of it, of it as well. And we kind of pointed to the Beats acquisition really as an example of the fact that Beats was acquired, and, and whether you believe in the Beats headphones or not, Certainly, consumers that are spending the money they're spending on those headphones believe that they're buying a higher-quality headphone. So they, so the, the proof is that consumers want a higher quality. They're spending money on something they believe is higher quality. We also made the supposition that labels should support this because you know, labels are in the business of trying to sell us music, and if they sold us a catalog once, they wouldn't mind selling it to us one more time. And we started having conversation with Mike following that, and, and it turns out that Warners and some of the other labels have spent a great deal of time, money, um, and energy trying to deliver high-quality audio to the masses. And I thought, Mike, maybe this would be a good chance for you to explain a little bit of of your history in, in, in in this part of the business and to the extent that you can talk about it. I know some things you can't talk about just yet. You know, where you think it's going from the label's perspective right now.
3: Well, what Bob and Dennis just illustrated was the most important part of this is in place, which is the creative community wants it to happen. Any label worth its salt should know that its success follows its artist's success. So inside of the Warner family, and hopefully the way that we on ADA inside of that, uh, we support that message. So that's, that's a big part of it, and it's different than a lot of the movements in the past, which were either technology-led or in some other way not necessarily coming from the creative community. That's a big part. But another responsibility that labels have is to find effective ways to get music inserted into consumer and fans' lifestyle. And you could probably easily argue that the industry went to sleep for a while when there was a shiny disc paying a lot of bills, and we woke up, and somebody else had kind of intermediate that relationship. So there may be a bit of catch-up going on, but the good news is we're in very early stages of digital music. As much as it feels like iTunes and now streaming servers have been around, it's about five minutes relative to the history of our industry. And there's a tremendous amount of experience, development, and product innovation yet to come. So the idea that in the early stage we can introduce quality of sound as an attribute that fans and consumers are actually going to care about, and I think it's important to get them to understand that early and to hear it from artists directly, not have it be an industry bits and bytes kind of conversation. It bodes well for the kinds of experiences that we can put in place. Because I think we have to, all of us, be careful to treat this like it's some sort of an end game. You know, this is simply going to be a token... That is part of everybody's music lifestyle, but when you can, you're going to be listening in an environment that plays back at very high resolution in a comfortable living space. When you're on the go, hopefully every one of these is going to be able to play it back at a very high quality and resolution and give you some of that that space and size that Dennis was talking about when he was describing the panoramic elements of it. Um, Last thing I'll say, and then maybe we can get into at some point how to get the artist message out to consumers is that all of you in this room, and probably all of us that are at least adjacently connected to the business, we kind of get it, and we're probably comfortable doing the A-B listening and being able to hear it. In fact, the more you listen, the better listener you become, and you start to understand, as Dennis was pointing out, it's not so much frequency as it is time and kind of the location of and the space of music. Um, Our mass digital consumers, they aren't those kind of listeners right now. In fact, when Warner and ADA have done consumer research on this topic in the past, and we throw out things like, hey, what does sound quality mean to you? The most common responses we get from teen and college-age kids are files that play all the way through. Right? That's quality to them. They don't, that's pretty sad, right? So there is an entire dimension of sound that, that isn't even in the lexicon for them. And the way that we're going to, I think, educate them, if that's the way to describe it, is to have the artists they care about, the artists that they want to feel more connected to, leading that messaging. And not necessarily assuming we can get every digital music fan out there to A-B this stuff. Over time, they'll hear it, and I think if we communicate it effectively, they'll be conditioned and predefined that they're going to hear this stuff, but it really needs to be something that they hear from the people they care about the most.
0: So, so Lucas, you know, you're... you're... Getting your career going, um, you're spending you're in the, you're in the studio right now actually recording a new album. What, what's your take on the fact that the great uh, majority of the people that are going to consume your music are going to consume it through through this device and not hear it the way you're recording it? Well, I just think
4: it's sad, you know. I think that uh, we hear it in a certain way once we record it and we listen to it in the studio and we say, "Oh, this is great," and then. Uh, what's interesting to note is that once it becomes compressed into an MP3 file, they're getting 5% of, of what we had in the studio. So, so 95% of those frequencies are compressed and taken away, and so your brain has to work that much harder to complete that picture, uh, much like uh, if you see a grainy photograph, and then you render it with a, a computer... That computer has to work to render it. And so your brain actually has to work to render that music in the same way. I uh, saw, a, I, I read something about, uh, oh, it was a friend of mine told me about a light, light quality causing anxiety in people. When you go into a Walmart or fluorescent light area, it, studies have shown that that light can cause you to feel an am- amount of anxiety and depression. Now, light waves... In the same way, natural light is a curved wave, just like in that picture you saw over there and when it's, when it 's turned into an artificial wave, it becomes boxed up like postcards and there are studies that show that the, that boxed up light causes depression and anxiety and teen depression now is a huge deal in, in, in our uh, in my generation there 's there's a lot of young kids that are depressed, and they're listening to to all this music on their headphones and all day long, and uh, and uh, it's 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 kind of scary. It's kind of like uh, I like to call it Mick music, you know. I feel like uh, I I don't want our our generation to get used to this sound, and you know I don't want it. I feel like it's contributing to the overall well being of my generation. I I definitely think that uh, that people. There are certain people that are aware of it, and uh, and that's what's. I think we're going to be the kind of the surgeon generals of the music world. You know, we're going to have to uh, we're going to have to let people know this
0: music may cause depression. <laughs>
4: so,
2: <laughs> <you know? laughs>
0: so, so Bob Weir is going to be the surgeon general of the music world. <laughs> Bob and
4: Neil and all those guys. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Exactly. This so, won't hurt a bit. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Take two tunes, call me in the morning
0: <laughs> so, so bob you, you you built a beautiful studio up up in Marin, and really it's state of the art um, a playpen for artists, I think is the way you 've described it, and you 've spent a lot of time um, really since the beginning of your career, but even in recently in the recording side, trying to get it to sound just exactly perfect um, what, what are your thoughts on on the next generation and how we and it really and I think to what the question Mike asked a minute ago, which is you know how do, how do we bring this message forward? We're in, we're in a room of people that are innovators and in the tech industry and influencers and have an ability to deliver not just 30 million songs in our hands, but 30 million songs in our hands that sound fucking amazing. So how do we deliver that message?
1: Well, that's the same question that I was going to ask you on Mike, Because <laughs> really, uh, artists, uh, Lucas and I and uh, Lucas and me and a number of other uh, folks will... Have to collude with guys like you, people, uh, kindred spirits, uh, who aren't making the music but marketing it, um, but guys who got into the business because they love the music. Um, we'll take as many as those people as we can amass at one at, at one time, and uh, and uh, sort out a, a, a sort of a promotional campaign. I think. To uh, address the rest of the music industry, as uh, as as Craig pointed out earlier, um, the music industry would love nothing more than to send uh, to sell our catalogs yet again. Um, it was a windfall when uh, when the CDs first came out. Every, all the artists got to sell all their stuff again. Um, you know, they sold as many records as they were going to sell. But wait a minute. Now I got I gotta, I gotta get all this stuff on C, on CDs, and people went out and bought all the music again on CDs. Well, a fairer way of doing that will have to be will have to be engineered, where somebody can, where where someone who can prove that they've already bought the music can uh, can pay for an upgrade, uh, but not have to pay for the whole song again. That that I'm quite sure will be a uh, will be evolved, but um, we just have to get together and agree that this is what has to happen. Um, one, of the, one of the reasons that I'm doing this is because, uh, as I said earlier, music mattered more back when I was a kid than it does now. and The reason is, is pretty apparent to me that uh, music is kind of off-putting now. It's an off-putting experience. Uh, whereas it was uh, an engaging e- experience, uh, a welcoming experience when, uh, when when it was analog. It's it's it, it, when I go out to a club nowadays, I can't
4: hang. <laughs> you know, and I can't hang because the sound is so intense and aggressive, and it, you have to either be on ecstasy or cocaine to really in, enjoy that. <laughs> and and I'm I'm not and not drunk. that there's anything
0: wrong with that. <laughs>
4: no, No. I, I didn't say anything about there being wrong with it. I'm just saying that you, there, i think there's a reason that 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 music becomes mm-hmm. some some- it's kind of like this kind of background uh for most kids younger than me in my age uh it, It's almost like you're either listening to it in your car or you're listening to it in a club or you put it on in a party or you know there's no there's no listening for the whole record all the way through anymore, and uh that doesn't happen but because I think of what you're saying. It's just—it's not such an immersive experience as it used to be, sitting and listening to a record, you know. And uh, and, but it can be, if we listen to it in the right in the right sound. Well, now
1: the 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 deal is that the the technology is here. That's that's there's, I've just been through a series of meetings with, uh, you know, I'm not going to name the. the outfits, but there are companies, you know, internet companies and stuff like that. There are none bigger, none bigger. I'll just say that. And uh, and when we talked about music dis- distribution, they wanted to provide for, you know, my my old catalog, for instance. And so that's what we were talking about. Um, when I brought up the fact that, hey, well, well listen. Um, on my computer at home, I have it set up so that I can get WAV files or uh, or or FLAC files played over a good player, and the music is enormously better. Now it's I have to go through a few uh, twists and turns to get there, a few hoops, but what I'm looking for is somebody who's who wants to take this on and streamline that process, and uh, and then I'd be really happy to uh, to partner up with that outfit and and uh, and, uh, and and provide my old music, my old catalog, and I just got blank stares from them. Hmm. They 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 can't they can't come to grips with the fact that it's here. That the technology is here. Bob, one more thing
4: about that. I, I was telling you about that club that I went to called the Monarch. <laughs> right. So the Monarch is actually, I mean, I don't hang out there a lot, but I, there was a, there's a downstairs area where the music sounds really good, And it doesn't matter what type of music is playing. It can be drum and bass or whatever, but the sound system is incredible there. So they have the technology to where I I could be right in the middle of the dance floor and have a conversation with somebody without wanting to escape that room because of the way the sound was set up and because of the way the frequencies were and because of the quality of the sound in that place. I could hang out there and still talk to people. And if that was a widespread thing, I think that... uh, that it, it would it would be beneficial to everybody. They're
1: know? probably playing uh, vinyl discs or 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 recordings, high res recordings. Exactly,
4: high high digital resolution recordings. I mean, I talked to the guys that had that sound system. It's state of the art, but it's uh, so it's out there. I think mm-hmm. so. You
1: know, it it, it it's, it's it's pretty real. Yeah. Um, so there's there's really sort of this massive inertia in in not just the music industry but the tech industry in general. That we need to overcome. Uh, there's one of the things that we have to deal with is uh, this business where you know music industry people are and and, and tech industry people are, are more or less adopting the position. Well, hey, the kids, they they love this shit. You know, they're buying it. What's the deal? What's the problem? You know,
3: can I take a shot at that? Yeah, please. Uh, you know, and this is I guess to inspire many of you guys that are sitting out there also we 've let convenience be the reason not to deliver quality right, and part of what you guys are describing is that the technological barriers don't exist anymore to use that as the excuse, so we can do it, we can make it as convenient yeah and it 's time, I think, to get everybody organized so that what your your revolution that you and Neil and others have been talking about is actually implemented that's a big part of our responsibility is to make sure. It, gets out into the marketplace, and we work with retailers and technology companies to make sure that that gets delivered. And there's good examples, maybe not in North America quite yet, but certainly even in Europe where higher resolution streaming services have been able to get pretty substantial adoption, not just the audiophiles, but the mass consumers. Because I think for this to have the impact that you're describing and all your peers are interested in, it's got to go into the mass consumer. This can't be something that is just an audiophile story. Audiophiles... Like things difficult, right? I mean, people have fun complaining about how hard it was, and therefore how proud they are that they were able to make something happen. This has to work for everybody that's involved in music, whether they're a fan, somebody that just discovered the Dead for the first time, and everybody in
4: between. Well, and people that's, don't have even have to know what they're getting. Like you don't, you know, the the, the general consumer needs not to know. What the quality of music is Only we need to know And the people that are producing it That we're producing the best quality for them Because some people aren't ever going to care Or know what they're getting But we may be contributing To their anxiety and depression So it's our responsibility as musicians And as as music uh, industry people To give them the best quality I agree that
3: we don't want to Burden them with having to understand The engineering of it But just like there are music fans That are huge digital and huge vinyl fans. In fact, people that are digital overperform in vinyl. There's a choice and then there's an understanding and a knowledge they have about those different experiences. And so even if we just turn it into a more rule of thumb anecdotal difference, I do think we want them to start to appreciate different audio experiences in different environments. So if they're in a place where they can play it back through really high quality loudspeakers, they do it. And if this thing ultimately allows them to be the controller for that, Right. Fantastic. If so, they're on an so. exercise machine, that's another experience. So, we so, we've
0: got, so we've got a few, we've got a few minutes. Um, we'll take uh, some questions. I think this is probably a good, a good chance. Um, a, a fair warning, I'll be answering any Grateful Dead related questions, so <laughs> be careful. <laughs> 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 what, about, what about the
5: Pono player? Like, okay. Uh, that he w- we would have a way to get the, I think right now the wall is our device. I have to take all my FLAC files and turn them into Apple Lossless just to hear them in decent quality on my phone. If I had that Pono player or another player, I could just throw my FLAC files on there and I'd have it.
2: I just played 96K through iTunes. And it's, it's, it's already here in many ways. The Pono player is a device, but... It's already here. I mean, that's one of the things people aren't aware that you can do it. And you know, one of the other things that is already here is the medium already is inexpensive. You can get a 32 gig SD card, which is one of the things the Pono player uses SD cards on 32 gigs, which is twenty dollars. You can store. You can store. You can get a large one like that. You can store sixteen hours in 96k 24 bit.
5: But you're saying like I use the bit perfect thing in my iTunes and it makes everything pop, but when I use J River, it doesn't. But I have to use this DAC to hear the 96 kilohertz because I'm not using the timer in my computer.
1: Okay, it, it may well be that a conference has to be convened to uh, to uh, just standardize the practices, and and there'll be it'll probably be a slugfest because everybody's gonna everybody's gonna have what they want to promote, right. but it, but that should happen soon.
4: And that was my point is that, uh, Mike, is, what, is that if we just make all of the quality, all of the audio that we're putting out to the highest standard, then those who will never be able to tell the difference, even though that then they won't have to in a sense. Right and, and, yeah. and yes, yes, I think that we should make them all aware of it, but if the standard is high enough, Already, then anything they'll be pulling up on their device is already playing at a high enough that's quality. That's a great point. And it's,
3: and it's really easy and yeah. a very short lead time for us to introduce a higher quality master spec yeah. into every new project as well as all the work that's going on in catalog. I mean, yeah. there's really no excuse that it isn't getting into the yeah. new production process.
1: Now, Craig, to your point, Craig asked me earlier what do I see happening, you know, what do I see, how do we address this? Well, what I see happening is, yes, there's, a, there's Neil's Pono player, and there will probably be a number of uh, other hats in that ring pretty quick. On the other side of the coin, and I think you're going to hear a, a fair bit about that in the next, uh, in the next hour, in the next panel, there's what happens over the uh, over the internet and what uh, and what can be done about that, and there's a fair bit that can be done about that too. I, you know, we've been working. I've been working uh, with my studio at TRI with uh, with RDO because they they were the first folks who came to us and said, "Okay, you guys, you guys are kind of uh, you know you're on the same trip we are. We want to we want to present better quality music, and that was." Most of a year ago, that we we, uh, we started working, you know, started working towards working together, and we've been working together now for a few months. And now, what we originally decided that we would try to go with is old, already starting to look kind of like old hat. So it, you know, there, it's it's exciting what, what's what's possible. But we need we need to get some industry standardization, and uh, and I think that's going to take a a, a conference.
4: And audiophiles too. I'm sorry to, to interject here, but audiophiles too will always have something that they can. I mean, they're always going to be able to get better quality because we're developing new technology. Uh, I mean, exponentially now, it's like things are growing so so much that. Pretty soon you'll be able to hear back uh, a 300, was it 320 resolution, and, and it keeps keeps going higher. Right. So, um, you know, people are going to be inventing better quality uh, ways of playing back music as time goes by. But if we just raise the industry standard to a point to where we're not going. Nuts! By listening to all the music, then audiophiles will have their way when they can pull all their friends into a house and say, "Hey, well, this is this is the best crap you can ever hear." You know, this is a thousand. You know, and so uh, you know everybody's going to have their way of getting to be who they want to be. You know?
5: Cool. So a couple quick notes: we do have a quality sound matters panel up next, sponsored by Naris. So we're very excited about that. We will have Randy from Pono on that, so he can talk to that. I think a big issue that you're touching on, which is really important is what the standardization is. When we did our startup in the 90s and then we spun out the nonprofit that built Flack, Flack is the standard that's being used for Pono now. Why wasn't it adopted in the early 2000s? Well, Apple said, do we support this open standard or one that's not as good that we own the rights in? (laughs) So now we're a decade down the road and... I don't believe you can play flack in your iTunes player at this point. You play it on the Samsung, but that's the point. If you have a fragmented marketplace, it becomes very hard to come up with one standard format that everybody can release music on and know that it's going to be played. So anyway, my little note, on to the next question.
6: (laughs) And he did hit, hit on what I was about to say. Yeah, I was very amazed because, like, in the past two years, you couldn't go on to, for say, E-Tree or go to Archive and download, for say, you know, your favorite Dead show or your favorite Blues Traveler show or something and just download it and listen to it right there on your phone or on your tablet or your computer. You had to have, like, Winamp or you had to have the player that you downloaded off of Archive to play it. So nowadays, like, I wouldn't got this before I went on the further bus this summer so we would have some Is there tunes a question? to listen to. And... You have a question? I'm just... I'm just I'm just saying, letting, letting Bob know that, yes, that the technology is rolling down the road yeah. and it is yeah. becoming more open and people are realizing that flag files are cool. Thank you. highest quality. Thank you. Question.
7: Hi. There's not really a question here, it's just I wanted to... No, no, no. There's a, no, but it's very important as a question. Okay, okay. What's the real problem that you guys are talking about? Because there's, I just wanted to make a few points. Based, I think this is a very one-sided panel. Like, we've not really had much real science to back any of this stuff up. I mean, I think the fact that you're equating depression to people listening to MP3s... Well, I'll tell you really, why. No, ...really, really has to be treated with care. Okay, the question is, what's the problem? And I get first what you're And second of all, we've got, we've got Mastered for iTunes. That's great. If you really cared about people getting better quality experience, you would encourage them to buy a better pair of headphones rather than a Pono player. And the, the argument that... Well, that Headphones... Yeah, hold on. Yeah, but I'm just saying, I would, I would recommend that everyone in this room who's been listening to this goes and educates themselves about what actually makes a better listening experience because I don't think it's what these guys are talking about.
4: Uh, yeah, but you, you, hey, let, me, let me address to you both of those, okay? All right. I understand what you're saying, and it's a valid valid point, okay? When you look at a light wave, and here's a study that has been proven to cause anxiety, artificial light looks exactly the same when broken down as a digital, low-quality sound wave. An artificial light wave looks exactly the same as a digital, low-quality sound wave. And that has been proven to cause anxiety and depression. Now... Yes, there may not be a way to study that, that this music causes depression at this point. But, but listen, that's what I'm going to tell you. So if light, has that, if light has that effect on people and causes anxiety, then the worry is and the theory is that why would sound waves when going into the ear and making it to the brain not have the same effect? And especially when people all over this panel and people who listen to music are saying that it's causing
1: them stress and anxiety to listen to this digital. So Beyond, beyond that, if you take low-resolution recordings and play them back through better headphones, it's not going to change that. You can, the, you, I'm sorry, you know... Yeah. I'm make it worse, actually. A better quality recording played through a, an inferior playback system is more pleasing to the brain. It's not, a, it's so, not so, the yes. ear. It's the brain.
6: It's
5: the whole ecosystem. If you have better quality recordings through better quality headphones, that's better all along the line. Can we agree with that? All right. Let's Thank go to Todd. Thank you.
6: can we all just get along? Um, I thought I'd pass on some good news in the form of a question. Um, Laughter How many here would be more likely to purchase a track if it was labeled as coming from a high quality original master source? Mm -hmm. Much like in the days of CD when we had the DDD and ADD and all that, um, that helped the consumer to see what they're buying and in a very concise manner. Well, some good news, there's an agreement upon, uh, come up by uh, DEG and the CEA to have more adequate labeling of the things that we are streaming and, and downloading. Look for this because it's very nascent. They've picked some pretty odd uh, lettering, but <laughs> there is a way that they've agreed upon to label original high quality sources. So look for the MQ. MQ will be a labeling initiative uh, that will show what the, original, what the file came from. So if you're downloading at a l- lower resolution, if the original uh, uh, track came from a higher quality source, you'll see MQP, MQA, MQC, and MQD. Those are each sort of describing what original source it came from.
1: What does MQ stand for?
6: Uh, master quality. Okay, master great. quality. Yeah, uh, a being from analog, uh, where the D coming from high-resolution digital. The idea is that all these have come from something better than 44.116. So that's something coming about and I'll put in a pitch for the 5 o'clock session uh, downstairs. And don't forget to check out the uh, high-resolution shops that sell and stream in high-res. Demand it, pay for it, and it will come.
2: I couldn't find in my email stack here a very, very large document written by a Ph.D., on anxiety and low resolution listening. So if the gentleman that is doubting would like to give me his email, I will forward that to you. Because this is a real document and we're basing what we're talking on on fact, not our stoned out visions. <laughs> Just as you know, as it were. Maybe this is this is real. And in fact, if you stuff earbuds in your ear and listen to vinyl versus listening to MP3. It's going to be profound. The better the transducer, the more you're going to hear the garbage. I'm sorry. You will That's feel the, the way difference. it is.
1: You will feel the difference. even, even if you won't let yourself. <laughs> you will eventually. Uh, you know, I, I've, I've come across people of your age who just don't want to understand, just don't want to feel it you know, just get better headphones. That's not going to do it for you. It's not going to do it for oh, you. i got a question So,
7: so, so while, while the, I
1: mean, I, I don't disagree with any of the loss of quality in MP3. I think that's all been established. Some of the stress and anxiety that you guys are talking about, does is, is the paper maybe address this? Is any of that attributed to the compression that's put into modern music and production to compensate for... That has something to do the, with it, yes. The, the less compression, the better, of course. But as a... As a Musical as compression, Wiz, not data file compression. As as Wiz pointed out, you know, the spatiality is important. If you can't hear the spatiality, that causes stress, especially if you've got headphones on and you're in an artificial listening environment, and you and and you can't hear, and you can't hear spatiality, your your brain is looking for it, looking for it, working to find it, and that's work. That's stress. Work is stress.
0: Great. Thank you. Last question, I think, Brian.
6: I, so, I'm not saying this is a good thing, but in 2009,
3: 2011, there were studies that said that young people preferred the sound of compressed MP3 style audio. Because, I mean, a lot of people attribute that because that's what they grew up with. Like, sure. I grew up in an age when I downloaded things from Napster at
6: 128-bit MP3, and it sounds like crap. I'm a musician. I understand that. But it's kind of become the sound of this generation, just like analog equipment and, and tube amps and tube compressors all were the sound of the 60s and 70s, and I'm
3: wondering how, what you guys think about like how, how, how you can get around this and how we can
2: change the the, the path of of how we appreciate music. It's, it's already happening because uh, a good friend of mine works in uh, Metallica's office. She's part of the whole uh, fan club scene. Metallica, when they released uh, Death Magnetic, released it as a CD, downloads all uh, media. They also mastered a 24-bit 96K for Guitar Hero or what's the other game that you play? Right. Yeah. And the office was inundated with calls from these kids playing the game because now they were listening to 2496 and they said, how come the game sounds better than the CD? So it's already happening. And that's one of the interesting things. The gaming community is going to be one of the avenues that helps propel this because now games are huge. You know, in the old days it was eight-bit uh, FM synthesis loops to do music for games, and now they're recording 60 and 80 pieces on an orchestral stage for games, and they're putting them out at 24.96 because the players will support that.
3: I think your point highlights the marketing challenge in front of us because <laughs> one of the big differences I think between
2: either- that's Bobby's cell phone. <laughs> That was 2496 right. ringtone.
3: Bob's got somebody under the table here. Um,
2: that, that, but that, that was his wife's
0: ringtone.
5: Yeah.
3: What, what, I, what it points out is, unlike the video experience where we all commit to stop and stare at a screen and it's often easy to A-B different resolutions, the dominant modality right for all of us in music is typically portable and passive while we're doing other things, which means there's not a lot of critical listening going on. And so we're going to need to get to that consumer by getting them to understand this is the definitive version of that song or that recording that the artist they care about wants them to have. Right? There are bands there's, that do. There's that,
4: an What's that? Arcade Fire. They 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 like to release high quality music. <laughs> yeah, and I think the,
3: I think everybody will. And, I, and right. I look forward to the fact that in. Every digital channel, there are going to be essentially multiple configurations available, right? What will be seen as kind of standard and then a master or high quality. And I think by introducing it and then having it be messaged from the creative community, we're going to start to see, first of all, like a lot of things in music, the fans and the cool kids are the ones that are going to go there, and they kind of drive that behavior down into the broader more discovery, you know, less passionate music fans. And that's what's happened with a lot of configurations and change in lots of different media, not just music over the years and over the decades. Great. I think that's it. Thank you.
0: Glad. Let's,
5: have, let's have a big hand for this crew. Yay! <laughs> Woo! All right! Very cool. We got a couple-minute break. Then we're going down to the Quality Sound Matters downstairs. We've got, uh, right now, actually, downstairs, Zahava from Google with Ted Cohen. Then we're going to have Benji with Rohan Krishnamurthy over there for a rhythm workshop. Bring the studio to the stage. Experiences up here and a merch meetup. So thank you, everybody.
1: My time coming. Any day, don't worry about me. No, it's so long I felt this way, but I'm in nowhere. now. rain moves in down that highway. Well, ocean breezes blow. My time coming for. The-